0: Possession crucial from this, how much longer will the referee allow? Dublin lead by us, oh, and there's the whistle,
1: it's over, it's over! We earned it by winning the last two matches on the road, and that's not going to be taken away from us. But what I love in Hurland, I love players that will never give in. He
0: hits it, he hits it, it's over the bar! Oh, holy Moses! Hello, welcome to the RTEGA podcast, the last one of the inter-county season. We will be back in a few weeks. Uh, in some shape or form once a week I think we'll we'll take it handy for, for, for the autumn but we will be back but um, we're going out with a bang being joined by Ursula Jacob and Marie Crow to preview this Sunday's on uh, ireland Senior Camogie File how are you doing? Good thanks
1: looking Great.
0: forward to the weekend <laughs> yeah yeah aren't we all um, <laughs> for a variety of reasons um, before we get into the Camogie which is uh, Kilkenny for V Cork, obviously, because it's always, we'll get onto that bit in a minute, it's always one of uh, two of three, um, almost. I just wanted to kind of just touch on Shane Walsh's story, which has kind of been obviously dominating uh, in the um, vacuum of Left by intercounty men's GAA, um, Shane Walsh has maybe picked an inopportune moment to uh, to go public with his plan to transfer because there's nothing else to talk about and Marie obviously is presenter game on it's you know you, you've been discussing it as well and. It's I think we can get away from the rights and wrongs of Shane Walsh's you know kind of um, desire to play for a club in Dublin because it's the man's hobby it's more interesting I think it's interesting how quickly it's kind of moved away from Shane Walsh and to kind of whether Kilmacud should be his club and just your own view on it is interesting obviously you're from Clare Six Mile Bridge would be your club and your dad Tim is heavily involved in hurling there for about 650 years it seems or like for a long time Um, but then obviously you've been living in Dublin a long time and your kids are very involved and your husband obviously as well and St Jude's was the club you chose and it's interesting because St. Jude's are one of these clubs that get mentioned because they are a very big club, mm-hmm. close to a number of other very big clubs. And it's kind of, it's very different from your experience at home because you're born into a club, that's it. Whereas in Dublin, you can kind of almost shop around, which is strange, isn't
2: it? Yeah, it is definitely strange. And in a way, that's what we did when we were deciding on a club. We moved to to the area, and there was lots of different options because we're not far from Ballyboden Bowden and Foggs and Robert Emmetts. And we just liked Judes because it did have that country ethos where there were players transferring in, and you could feel a connection to home and a place where people could put down roots and feel part of a club. And that's kind of why we we picked it. And it is quite interesting to make the point that it is so different to my experience from home, and it very much is because like sometimes i think in in dublin because it's so big the ga can be quite transient whereas at home it's everything you know with everything that you do it revolves around the ga and um there's nothing else there like there's a hurling field there's a soccer pitch as well but you know most people gravitate towards the hurling field whereas in dublin there's so much choice there's so many different sports there's something you know every few hundred meters for people to to play so the connection doesn't feel as deep and you know I do have a club up here but the way I look at the club here is that it's my children's club like my club will always be Six Mile Bridge I'll never get away from that whereas my children for you know I when people ask me about it I'm, I always say like that's that's my children's club and that will be my children's club and that's why I'm involved there but I can't help thinking back to and Mikey I know you'll be the same to the 90s and when I was growing up and the way Claire Hurling and Wexford Hurling and Limerick and Offaly was just huge like, how would I have felt if Davy Fitzgerald was moving clubs? You know, he was the biggest star, the biggest hero to me. You know, you had been hanging around at his house kind of thing, you know, hoping to get a glimpse of him. He was Elvis. And that's probably what the people in um, in Galway feel about Shane Walsh, that, you know, he's he's leaving. And, and, you know, I know I would have been devastated and probably as a young child taking it a little bit personally. Um, but I do see then being up here and having proximity to everything and, and I can't even imagine what it would like to have to hit the road down home three times a week to go training so I do see both sides of it um I see the the club's point of view and the, and the players point of view but I think that with the way things are in Dublin as I said I'm involved now my kids are there it's it's their club like in 10 years time when my eldest is 20 will I want St Jude's bringing in eight players and taking eight senior hurling or football slots and he's there standing on the sideline absolutely not I'd be like giving out yards to anyone that would listen Um, you know it's great for for people to come into the club but at the same time there should be a pathway a clear pathway for the kids that are up there every night of the week and that it's their club so maybe there should be a case where they have a rule and they can only have three outsiders and 12 of the starting spots has to go to players that have played minor in the club Mm. so i think that they really need to be very aware that they, like when you have a child playing Gaelic games in your club, you need there to be a pathway for them, a clear pathway to keep them involved in the game because that's what the GA is about. And you can facilitate people coming into the club, but it shouldn't be at the cost of the young kids and the people that have played there for years and years. And Jude's is a great club but they do have a huge amount of outsiders coming in. And I wonder if my child was 18 or 19 and wanting to get a shot at senior, would I, you know, still be as, I'm um, celebrating. <laughs> that country
0: ethos there. might be something you're so fond of that then. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it, 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 So in a way, because it's your hobby and it is, it's everybody's hobby, I suppose. So you, you, you are a little bit selfish about it because you want it to be, to to suit you as well. And, and Shane Walsh is, that's what he's doing. Or so I think a, a most people probably know you're from Eildur, but I think a lot of people mightn't quite get a sense of kind of what Eildur is. It's it probably in a lot of ways quite similar to Kilcar and Clumber And I would like Eildur is a small place. Yeah. Um. It's not nowhere. It, the advantage for Eildur is that it's not a million miles from Dublin. Really, it's probably an hour and fifteen minutes. Probably you know. Um. So the chances of you know Liam Donner, Martin Story leaving was was, was not or Jacob was was not going to happen. They weren't that far away. You know they like from the main centre anyway. Um, but like you can probably see the the Kilcar and argument here as well because because like I don't mean to be kind of uh, cliched about it, but Owlert is hurling and Owlert are in a intermediate hurling semi final, which. Um, they don't get out of intermediate, I'd say you'll all lose your minds. There's actually a chance you're going to come up. I can't believe I'm saying this. There's a chance owlers are going to play my home club in a county final in a couple of weeks. If, if timon Cameras beat Askamore, they could be playing either Oulert or Buffer's Alley, two hurling uh behemoths who are stuck in intermediate. That to me, just like that. That I couldn't have imagined that five years ago. Um, it's crazy that Timon could be playing Oulert or Buffer's Alley, but that's to the side. So I, I'm imagining you can imagine the Kilcar and Clumburn kind of, kind of argument here because they are quite so they're they're the West of Ireland football equivalent of Owlers in a lot of ways.
1: One hundred percent, and look at. You know, for me personally, I probably, uh, I could never see myself claim at anyone, but Owlert, Um, as you said, everyone in Owlert, all we do is play Harlan or camogie, Um, and it's, it means everything to us, and we probably take it two series at times, and it's, it's more than a hobby in many ways, but I suppose that's just part of life in Owlert and, and what we do, and I think it would be a huge blow. To Owler, whether it's a team or hurling team, if one of our great players up and left and and started playing with a different club, we we'd probably find it hard to accept. We'd probably uh, try every method in the book to persuade them not to go. Um, like I can see, I I can see Shane's point of view too. Like I worked and lived in Watford for all my, uh, time. Pretty much all my time playing intercounty Comogie with Wexford, and the toll of commuting up and down and uh, from Waterford to Wexford and that was only in around an hour but if i when i was doing that three four five times a week it does get tiring it does get exhausting um, and i can see shane's point that if he's in, living and working in dublin you know he wants to play in dublin but for for his own club team it is a it, it's a tough one to take because can you imagine as marie said being a young kid uh, and i was like that with the martin stories in 96 they were my heroes, my idols, and if someone said to me Martin Story was going to play with another club, uh, it would be considered like a funeral that he was leaving. Um, so for those young girls and boys in Galway, it's the exact same thing. Like he's one of the best players for Galway uh, that, that Galway have ever produced. So now for him to up and leave and and go and play in Dublin is a hard one to take. Um. It's probably turned a little bit messy of a situation and there's lots of comments here and there, but um, I suppose Shane is looking out for himself. He's trying to see what's best for him and probably to prolong his career as well, that um, if he's going to be commuting back and forth for Intercounty, maybe for the club, uh, he sees it as a, a way to not be travelling as much. But yeah, I'm a one club person. I, I
0: couldn't play with anyone else. <laughs> I'm on to my third club, so I'm certainly not gonna have uh, <laughs> to, to, to criticize Shane Walsh in any way. Anyway, um that's the Shane Walsh situation which I think which I think will be well enough alone until we we get some white smoke from Crow Park. There's obviously some conjecture and debate over whether it'll go through because of a variety of GA rules which, you know, probably only five people no, exactly that section of the rule book. So we'll li- we'll leave that to people better qualified than us. Um, we can move on to the Camogie Ursula. Here's an easy question to open for you. When what was the last final that didn't involve both uh two of the three of Kilkenny, Cork, and Galway? Easy one for me,
1: twenty twelve. <laughs> Correct. Wexford
0: three thirteen, Cork three six. Harder question for you, Ursula. When was the last final that didn't involve any of the three of them?
1: <laughs> I don't think I could answer that
0: one. Um, Marie, know? 1984, Dublin beat Tipperary 5-9 to 1-4. Oh so God. we were here Ursula, I was here last week previewing the ladies uh, women's football final and I was very, you know, we were upbeat about this new democratic era in women's football because you know it was me and Kerry and it was novel and it wasn't Dublin and it wasn't Cork. Um, Camogie is a little bit away from that. We keep hoping and praying that, you know, Waterford in particular might kind of make that step up. But at the moment, it just seems there's three counties that are head and shoulders above the rest and it, it doesn't seem to be changing.
1: Yeah, and I don't think it's going to change for a little while to come. Now, credit to Waterford in the semi-final. You would have to say they put in a, a massive performance and they really pushed Cork all the way in the semi-final. But still, you could, you, you could always sense that Cork had enough to come back, uh, they have the experience of playing in Crow Park, the experience of winning an All Ireland semi final. So, um, I still felt that Cork were probably going to do it, even though they 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 would be very unhappy with their overall performance. Um, but yeah, I think any of us when we were making predictions at the start of the year, we were going to say it was either going to be Galway, Kilkenny, or Cork in the final. Um, and that's just the way it is. Now, y- you can't take that away from the three teams because. They're exceptional teams. Um, they've raised the standard of Camogie too, um, and they should deserve a lot of credit for that. Because you mentioned Wexer there. Ten years ago, we were we won our three in a row. They, like the game has gone to another level since then. In the ten years, you know, I look at it now and I'm like, my God, you know the. The, everything that's required to play intercounty senior camogie has gone to the next level. You look at the backroom teams; the experience that they have in de- in in those teams alone is massive. Um, and there's a, a real sense of professionalism, in, in particular in those three teams with Galway, Cork, and Kilkenny.
0: Yeah, um, Marie, it has. Um, uh, Ursula mentioned it. There, Cork probably haven't kind of hit their straps yet this year, but they're. You can see moments and, and i think particularly from kilkenny who didn't have the greatest kind of spring or or, or league campaign but championship like the standard and i i would say particularly kilkenny i put down as favorites some some of the play from kilkenny and this championship has been superb and cork have shown in glimpses um what they can do too but they haven't kind of kind of strung a full performance together yet but like i don't think anybody can b- complain maybe a few people in galway wouldn't but you know the best two teams are in the final and they are they kind of Camogie does seem to be kind of reaching new heights nearly every year.
2: Yeah, and it, it's quite interesting just the the narrative around Kilkenny. You know that they haven't had a, a great spring or a great league, and they're unbeaten. You know what I mean? They've they've just. Um, as you said, it's it's the expectation that's around them now and, you know, they, they feel as well a bit like people have been writing them off at every juncture and they just keep coming back whereas we just... Another expect-
0: Kilkenny team in the long grass. Yeah, it?
2: exactly. <laughs> we just expect so much from them now and, like, even as Ursula said there, like when you look at the, the backroom teams, and I was looking at the Kilkenny one like just before we came on air there, with like Brian Dowling, Tommy Shefflin, um, and Philly Larkin, like they're names that we all know from growing up as well, you know, hurlers that were um that have been around and played under some of the greatest managers of all time. So we know what they can bring to a setup, so and you can imagine as well that they've pushed it on even more and more. And then you look at Cork, obviously, with Matthew Toomey and Davey Fitz, so they're bringing the standards that they have learned from winning all irelands into, into camogie setups. So they're pushing it all the time. Um, and the one thing about Kilkenny that I've noticed this year, and Ursula, like, I don't know if it's what you've noticed as well, but their work rate has just gone to another level, like they have always had that. Um, that ability to, to get around the pitch and, and you know, to, to win the dirty ball out of the rocks and all the rest. But when you see Denise Gall down in a back line with, you know, five or six minutes to go and making two of the, the best plays of the game and taking the ball out of the back line, like she's the one that should be casually hanging around up front waiting for someone to give her a, a ball that she can pop over the bar. But she's back there doing the work, getting the ball out, setting the standards, driving everything forward. So it just seems that just in terms of effort, they're expending themselves match after match. And you would have to wonder, has that came from what they've all been through? So Brian Downing spoke about it during the week, um, it's in quite a few of the the articles, just um, he lost his own uncle and, and obviously then there was the, the loss in the Shefflin family and he spoke as well about a few of the players losing grandparents and you can see that there is this togetherness about them. They're like a unit. They see, you see somebody in danger, they're back there, they're helping out, they're, they're doing what they need to do to lift each other all the time and for me, that just seems like they have something special about them this year and it's that they really are going to to die for each other on the pitch it seems like
0: yeah is that what you mean ursa when you say that what's needed now to be an inter-county camogie player has just gone through the roof you didn't want to do, you didn't want to do that kind of denise gall stuff was he? the tracking back the kind of <laughs> winning dirty ball
1: i mean the full back line <laughs> I hope, I hope to feel quickly, but to fairly quick look i'd agree with marie on that um like denise is a phenomenal player like you look at it, things weren't going overly great for Denise in terms of maybe some of the free she was taking. Um, even she had a couple of shots from open play. But her, as Marie said, the most impressive thing about Denise Gall in that semi-final, and even Julianne Malone, uh, they were the two half forwards for Kilkenny. The, the amount of ground that they covered on that pitch uh, in the semi-final, they were back in the defence, and then the thing about it was they were still able to find themselves in good positions to get, get into the scoreable position. So like Julianne Malone, again, for me, who's a massive player to have back for Kilkenny, she got four points from play, but I was so impressed with how she was tracking back. She won a lot of possession on her own half-back line and then carried the ball, had that kind of um, leadership in her and kind of determination as well to say, look, I'm going to take individual responsibility here I'm going to take on my player. And she's such a key player to have back for Kilkenny because she's been out for three years between traveling and injury. Um, and she's such a big player to have back, considering Kilkenny are down, you know, a third of their third of their team from last year. Mm-hmm. Like you look at it, like and Kilkenny have been written off all year, but you can you can see the justification in some ways for it. Like they've lo- they haven't got Megan Farrell, they haven't got Davina Tobin, collect armor. Kellyanne and Aoife Dye that's a third of their team that lined out last year against Cork in the semi-finals so for any team to lose a third of their team and still make it back and as, <laughs> as Marie said probably playing their most impressive camogie mm-hmm. um, of the year and they're peaking at the right time as well um is really really impressive and they deserve a huge amount of credit for that too
0: yeah it was Marie it was a. Uh... On, on game on, the double manager Adrian Sullivan who kind of, yeah, you know, very much favoring Kilkenny on Sunday. and But the argument he made is kind of what you're both saying there is that, you know, previously you might have thought, you know, tie up Denise Gall and mm-hmm. you'll kind of, you'll stop Kilkenny scoring. Um, in recent years, obviously, um that's no longer the case. He said, we did a good job on her, you know, we, we, we kept her quiet. And then it's like the likes of Julianne Malone and Katie Nolan Miriam Walsh and the rest of them, like, like they have six forwards, which is, I don't mean to denigrate other teams, but in Camogie to have six scoring forwards, it's not it's not that normal and um, it's a serious weapon to have, obviously.
2: Yeah, because like Denise, she just didn't have her usual day of being that confident scorer. I mean, sure, she made up for it with everything else she did around the pitch, but... She, then when things weren't going her way, which is something that you wouldn't see from a a forward too often, it was she was happy enough to hand over the place ball as well, you know? So like she has enough trust and confidence in those around her that she could give Katie Power the place ball there and say, you know, off with you, go there and give that a go. Um, But when you have a team where you have somebody like Denise not, you know, in any other team, you'd be looking at her going, well, if she's not playing well, we're in trouble. Uh, Likewise, Miriam Walsh, like again, just... I'm only saying on their own standards. So like their standards are usually so high, but they had enough players around to, to pick up the mantle and to be able to get those scores. And they didn't actually all come from the forward. So like we had saw Laura Murphy coming from wing back and scoring a crucial goal. So you have the wing a back. who's got goal. One, one, yeah.
1: yeah.
2: One, one, I think she she came with. So um, they all have this ability to step up when they, need it, when they need to. And on top of all of that, like, you look at games like All Ireland semi-finals. It's rare enough that you have a corner back getting Player of the Match. So you had Michelle T in there getting Player of the Match. You had Laura getting the crucial goal. You could have given the play, the Player of the Match to Grace Walsh as well. Tiffy Fitzgerald had a brilliant game. Uh, Claire Phelan as well um, was able to hurl for the the whole game. She was playing that plus one role and um, you know made just made great use of the ball. So their backs that unit seemed to be setting the standard as well. And when you have them raising to such a level they're providing that platform for the forwards to be able to to step up but it's it's all coming from that back line and that's before you even mention Aoife Norris in the goals you know she again could have got player of the match she made four unbelievable saves scores saves a penalty and just seems to be thriving in that kind of um in that situation where she's one-on-one and can throw her body around the place so you just have this team who's firing on all cylinders but coming from the from the backs.
0: Yeah. So, Ursula, so what we're saying here is it doesn't look good for Cork, really. <laughs> we're saying this this I'm Kilkenny team from 1 to 15 are pretty, pretty impressive. And they are, you know, as we said, they're playing. They seem to have a very, you know, kind of very clear idea of how they're playing. Whereas, as Ethan Murray again on Game On said during the week, a um, little confused by Cork. I'm very confused by Cork because when they bring in Davy Fitzgerald as a coach, you think, right, through the lines, we're going to carry the ball, short passing. And if Murray's complaint is we've stopped doing that as the Cork team, or we did for long periods in the semi-final, and we started just lamping the ball along aimlessly, you know, to a to a defence that had a you know a, a sweeper back there, it wasn't working. Do you see that? Do you think Cork are a little bit muddled this season? Uh,
1: no, uh, look. Uh, firstly, I'll say I think Cork will be thrilled that all the conversation <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: we're blowing Kilkenny up here and they're going in as underdogs and that's probably hard to believe too in some ways that Cork are you know, probably going in underdogs based on maybe a little bit more inconsistency in their play this year and their, their flat performance in the semi-final but Look, I think Cork are going in, in an excellent position. Um, they are, they're going to be thrilled with that semi-final game that they got because if that had been an easy game and they had just brushed aside Waterford, everyone would be saying, you know, Cork, Cork, you know, or this or that. But they really had to fight for it and they had to show a massive amount of character to win that game. You know, Waterford were dominating all over the field and it really tested Cork and where they're at. And I was really impressed by how they responded to that. Like, obviously, you know, so much has been talked about Aisling Thompson's influence when she came on. And uh, obviously she kind of changed the game and how Cork were playing. And they looked that little bit more settled and composed. But there was lots of more, uh, there was lots more positives for me about it. How they finished the game. They scored the, the, the final eight points of the game, eight consecutive points to win it they restricted Watford from scoring for the last 15 minutes. Now, obviously, they have a huge amount of areas to work on. As you as you said, in the first half in particular, they were just lamping the ball down on, on top of Claude Carroll, the centre-back and sweeper for Watford. And that wouldn't be good enough if they were to do it uh, against Kilkenny. Also, if they went 24 minutes uh, against Kilkenny without a score, I would feel they, they'd be in even more trouble. But for me, there is something about this Cork team. Um, and even from speaking to Davey a few times throughout the summer, they're kind of quietly confident in how they're going. Um, even in the semi-final, Hannah Looney, one of their most experienced leaders on the team and a brilliant player to have back in, in the team. She was quieter than normal. Um, I expect like Cork are going to bring their best performance of the year on Sunday. Um, I think they thrive on All-Ireland our, on our final day. They have a pretty good record against Kilkenny in, in finals as well. Take it. They are going to be hurting from losing the league final earlier in the year, losing the All-Ireland final last year. So this is going to be their third time in Crow Park within the space of a year in a final. And I really just think they're going to, you know, really want to, you know, amend those uh, mistakes they've made in the previous two finals. And I think Cork are probably the best team out there for, for learning from a defeat. You know, they lost, as I said, the league final last year, the Arle, or the league final this year, the Arle- Ireland final last year. And I just think if you beat them once, you know, that's fair enough, beat them again. But when when they're looking to amend those, uh, you know, mistakes they've made in previous finals, I think they're the best team out there for learning from from the mistakes, from, you know, losing games. And I think they're going to have a big say in the final on Sunday. And they've got that experience too of winning All-Irelands, you know, and it's a long time for Cork without winning a senior All-Ireland. It's 2018, four years, like it's hard to believe in some ways, but um, I just think from speaking to Davy, as I said, over the, over the summer, I think they're quietly confident going into this final.
0: Yeah. Uh, Marie, one thing, well, with both sides considering their second half performances in semi final, but it's something Davy has mentioned as well, uh, specifically about Cork, is their fitness levels are seem to be through the roof. So there's, you know, they will have confidence that should Kilkenny get a run on them in the first half, there's a good chance they'll rein them in because they're not going to stop in the in the last quarter.
2: Yeah, and they're going to take so much confidence from the way that they finished that game. Um, as Ursula said, eight points on the trot, and they'll take that momentum with them. And the thing about it is, and they're going to be able to fix it, is that they just didn't get their tactics right in that first half. And they went in at halftime, and whatever they decided to do, they were able to make those in-game changes that they needed. So if they can start in a, in a manner that doesn't put them on the back foot like they did that like they did in the semi-final, it's gonna be a whole different ball game from them because they'll be getting the ball into their forwards. We only really got to see the likes of Amy O'Connor and Katrina Mackey in those last few minutes. So they're gonna come out with the point to prove knowing that they didn't do themselves justice over the 60 minutes. And if they can get going from the off, get a few points on the board, Kilkenny are gonna to have to, an awful lot of work to do as well. And um, we haven't even mentioned Ashling Thompson. So when you take her into consideration as well, her post-match interview after the semi-final, you could just tell from her that she has one thing on her mind and that is going out and getting that win and kind of putting everything that happened ahead of the semi-final behind her as well. So trying to maintain and contain an Ashling Thompson who can direct a game like she did in the semi-final when she came on is going to be a huge task for Kilkenny as well. So, while we're saying they're, you know, they have the forwards that can score and, and probably will be better than they were in the semi-final, there were still areas that they're going to be worried about. And when you have somebody like Ashton Thompson pulling the strings at midfield, distributing the ball into the forwards line, are the Kilkenny going to be able to handle what comes at them? They were able to concede. Well, they, they conceded goal chances. Ethan Norris was busy in there. You don't want your goalie busy. And if Cork can actually put away some of the chances that Galway warrant, we like it could be a very different situation for Kilkenny, and it could be it could all play into Cork's hands.
0: Yeah, it's Ursula. It's hard to understate the importance of Ashton Thompson to this court team because we saw kind of, obviously the you know the the their appeal etc. Kind of she wasn't the right kind of frame of mind to start the game. They thought and then kind of what do me watch the the warm up and said I should be grand, but she's like she's just phenomenal like as a physical specimen alone she's like she's not the only but she's the one that stands out in my head as a camogie player as a i would hate to play against her i'd say she's a nightmare to play against but she's just so inspiring and she is central to that kind of running game as well because she has the power and she's the speed yeah and And obviously the ball winning ability that just is it's key to everything they do isn't it yeah
1: and i i would probably include hannah looney in that Mm -hmm. as well i think they're the Cork engine. The two of those girls midfield. They're going to have a huge part to play in this game on Sunday. And it's one area I'd worry a little bit for Kilkenny because they they really really need to get their matchups right on both Ashling and Hannah, and um, because so much goes through Ashling and Hannah in midfield. Like Ashling, I think will. At times, kind of sit in front of the half back line to protect, offer that protection because Laura Tracy does like to sit back and kind of keep it nice and tight in front of the likes of Miriam Walsh. And then you have Hannah Looney, um, who is so athletic. She brings that kind of experience from playing football as well and loves that kind of overlapping play where she gives a pass, she runs off the shoulder and receives a pass and one of the strengths we probably don't we forget at times both are very very capable of scoring from distance as well they're brilliant strikers of the of the ball they're brilliant hurlers but it's their athleticism it's their physicality and it's their presence alone on the pitch that can really really dominate a game like like I remember last year watching the final against Galway and the two girls were just immense. And, you know, they, they were probably part of the reason why Cork were, were in the game so long against Galway. And as I said, for Hannah to have a quieter game than normal in that semi-final, I just I expect a huge game from her, from her on Sunday. And the, the one thing that Cork will be thrilled about, the distraction of Ashling Thompson and the whole uh, appeal and all going into the semi-final... Whether they like to say it or not, that did affect probably the team, the management in some ways. It was a distraction. Last year, the same with Orla Cronin, it was a distraction. They they're going into this final without any of those outside distractions. They can just focus on getting ready for Kilkenny, getting ready for an All Ireland final.
0: Yeah, um, the forward line is is kind of interesting in in how it lines up as well. Marie, isn't they kind of they're kind of trying something a little bit new there with McCartan, Mackey, and O'Connor, kind of kind of bunching up at the start of the game and then kind of almost kind of... It, I suppose you see a little bit of it from Limerick instead of playing like in the corners, you know, one in each corner, one in the middle, they kind of, they line up vertically down the middle of the pitch and then kind of they're ready to break. It's 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 an interesting approach and it'll be something different for Kilkenny to deal with, I guess.
2: Yeah, look, I think with the Kilkenny defence and how they have been able to adapt to huge losses and step up to every challenge that have came their way, that they're going to relish whatever's thrown at them. The key will be though, and you mentioned it a little bit earlier from me from Murray talking about it last night, and we actually had Paulie on in the semifinal as well, is getting the ball into them. So that transition from defence to attack, it didn't work for them in the semifinal, the ball that they were, were thrown in, the long ball. Um, like Amy O'Connor is a brilliant camogie player, but if she can't get the ball, then I mean, she's not going to be able to do damage. So it'll all be about the the distribution that comes in, and then if Kilkenny are able to bring the performance that they brought in the semi final, um, to the game against Cork, because everything is built on on that Kilkenny defence, and they've got so much quality there that like, and I think we should probably mention Grace Walsh here because for a player to go from playing around the middle of the pitch to go into full back. And to get a yellow card, she got a yellow card in the quarterfinal yeah. and still be able to put in those performances. You just look at her and think, look, no matter what comes her way, no matter who's in there, no matter what, um, what way they're lining up, she's going to love it because she's absolutely thrived in there.
0: Mm. Um, in
1: Walsh's genes, though. Look apart. <laughs> I know, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, they're that good of a hurler. And I, I, I include mm. Grace in that. She's that good of a hurler if you put her up centre forward, she'd probably get three or four points. So it's that versatility and just the acceptance that if you need me to go somewhere, I'll mm-hmm. play there. And she just looks she just looks so comfortable in full back. Um, and she's just a, such a tight, tigerish kind of player. Like she she just doesn't give you an inch. And I think it's going to be really interesting um, if she's on Amy O'Connor mm-hmm. um, on Sunday. I think that's going to be a, a really massive battle to, to keep an eye out for.
0: Yeah, I've long thought you could have sold tickets to the rooms the Walshes had in their back garden, I'd say, when they were kids. I'd say, you know, there was something to behold. Um, Ursula, before we get predictions, I just want to kind of, is there anything to the fact that Cork, I'm kind of confused by the fact that Cork and Watford were in the same group and then ended up playing each other in the semis, and same with Galway and Kilkenny. Um, it seems like perhaps, you know, those those kind of fixtures should have been reversed to just to give you, just to kind of... Um, for variety, but it's written in the fact that Cork have kind of gone through the championship and, shall we say, quote unquote, the easier side, and they have, like, um, you know, Kilkenny have drawn with and beaten Galway, who, you know, were the reigning champions. And are, is there a chance Cork are coming in a little bit untested, or is that being unfair to Waterford and the other teams in their group?
1: Well, as I said at the start, I, I do think that semi final against Waterford is going to stand to them because. Um, you know, in the group stages. Now they did have they did lose to Tipperary in the final group stages. Um, now Tip had to win to try qualify out of the group, and Cork were already through, so they had a one point loss that day. And I, I think they'd be ha- they would have been happy enough with that as well because they they were able to try out some some of the subs, try out some of the you know different positions. Um, and I I did feel because of their flatness in the semi final, they were probably going in a little bit cold into that semi-final against Waterford, whereas you turn, look at the other side, uh, Kilkenny, you know, drew the final group stage against Galway, then they had the momentum and the kind of confidence they took from the quarter-final win against Dublin, so you would say that, yeah, maybe the momentum has been going with Kilkenny in the last few games, but as I said, that semi-final against Waterford, for me, against Cork, um, it's going to stand to Cork big time, because there was lots of positives there, but like Davy Fitz is someone who loves having something to work on. Um, and they have loads to work on. But I as I said, I think Cork are the best at, at learning from those mistakes. And no doubt there's been some harsh words said in the last week or so about where they need to pick up underperformance. performance. So um, yeah, you would say maybe Kilkenny have had the last few games where um, it's been tougher, but um look, Cork in a final, I think anything could happen. <laughs>
0: Uh, I have to ask you who's going to win now, Ursula. And it sounds like you're got you're you're slightly torn on this one.
1: Um, it's it's not that I'm uh, look. At, I probably am slightly torn. I've probably changed my mind a few times. Um, but for me, and even though I have such admiration, um, and respect for Kilkenny, and I've probably written them off all year. Um, and yet they're in an All Ireland <laughs> final. I felt it was going to be Cork and Galway, and I just felt when you lose four or five big names on a team, I I couldn't see how they were going to get to a final. So, uh, you know, I I have such respect for them for how they're here in the final. And in no shape or form, do I think it's going to be an easy win for Cork or a handy win. I think it could come down to a moment of magic, like we've seen in a few of the previous games between these two teams. Look at last year's semi-final. Cork only won it with Linda Collins in the second or third minute of injury time. Look at the 2018 All-Ireland. Orl Orla C- Cotter got a last-minute free to win it. The 2017 All-Ireland between the two teams, Julia White got a, a point to win it. So I think it's going to be a low-scoring tactical battle between two teams. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if there wasn't even a goal in the game because both defences are so, so tight. But for me, there's something about Cork. Um, and Kilkenny will probably be thrilled that I'm, I'm tipping Cork <laughs> on this one, but... <laughs> I just feel that Cork get it right more so than often on All-Ireland Final Day. And I just, I feel that they're going to probably bring their best performance of the year on Sunday. And um, it's going to be a close, close game. And I think, as I said, I wouldn't be surprised if it was, if it was a draw, but I'm tipping Cork.
0: Okay. Marie?
2: Well, now we know that it was Ursula that was writing Kilkenny off all year. So they were right to be uh, saying it yes. and to be annoyed. She was the one
0: fertilising the long grass. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. Well, they can find you because they're in the final now. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with Kilkenny uh, just because I feel that there's just something about them. I feel like they're almost playing for more than the match. And, you know, I, I mentioned it earlier about all the tragedies within the, the camp this year and, and how difficult it's been. But they seem to be really relying on the sport, the game, the training, and the matches to get them through. And I think as well, you know, we've heard some of the players this week coming out and saying that they're they're doing it for the injured players, too, because um they've lost so many girls to to Khrushchev and the Doyle's come to mind straight away. So and, you know, they're still part of the extended panel. And I just feel that from looking at their performance, from the way they've been working for each other, just the unity that they've shown on the pitch, they have the players look 15 on 15. There's nothing between them. But it just feels like there's something special about them this year, and they're not going to let this one slip away from them.
0: Okay, I'll stick with my long-standing um, rule that I never back against Kilkenny, so I'm also <laughs> backing Kilkenny. Um, it did. It, it obviously fell flat on its face for the for the men's hurling final, but this time I I think they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna, uh, they're gonna um, get me out of a hole on it. Um, okay. You can of course uh, watch the match on RT Two and the RT Player, along with the Intermediate and Junior Finals, and you can also listen to it on Sunday Sport and follow it on the RT News web, uh, RT Sport website, and the RT News app. So thank you, to Ursula and Marie, and we will chat to you in a couple of weeks. Thank you very much. Possession Goodbye.